0: Welcome to the Stark Difference podcast today as we interview Pastor Jesse Rincones, the pastor of Alliance Church in Lubbock, Texas, and the executive director of Convención Bautista Hispana de Texas. Today we get to just delve and really enjoy some great tips from Brother Jesse, including his call from the courtroom to the church, the challenges and joys of bivocational ministry, And lastly, he has some tips for us on how to help churches reach more of the growing Hispanic population in the state of Texas. It's time for The Stark Difference, a conversation about calling, a podcast where we delve into the journeys of leaders and pastors, exploring how God's calling changed and shaped their lives. I'm Rochelle rocha Roots. And joining me is Dr. Tony Salelli. Whether you're a seasoned pastor, a person exploring leadership development, or simply interested in insight from those who have answered the call, this show is for you. Let's tune our spiritual ears and listen to the stark difference God makes when you say yes to His call. Well, welcome to the first episode of The Stark Difference, a conversation about calling. And today I am excited to introduce our co-host, Dr. Tony Salelli, the president of Stark College and Seminary, and then also our special guest, Jesse Rincones. Brother Jesse, it is so great to have you on the show with us. You are the pastor of Alliance Church in Lubbock, Texas, and also the executive director of Convención Bautista Hispana de Texas. And we're excited for you to join us today.
1: Rochelle and Tony, pues muchas gracias for having me on this uh, launch of what I expect is going to be a great podcast for many people.
0: Absolutely. We're excited for you to join us today. And so today, I just wanted to start out, Jesse, just to kind of get us acquainted with your ministry, uh, what you do, especially as the Executive Director of Convención, and kind of just introduce our audience to your ministry.
1: Well, I'm really excited about the uh, Familia Bautista here in Texas. Uh, There are over 1,100 Hispanic Baptist churches in the state that work in In their communities from rural areas to the to the border and our largest cities in texas and uh, churches have been working together since 1910 uh, to impact their communities and reach their spanish-speaking communities latino communities and uh, i get the opportunity to help uh, resource and work alongside and encourage and equip uh, all of those that are are working in our in our baptist family
0: it is such a blessing to know that there are organizations like Convencion and leaders like you, Brother Jesse, that are supporting our pastors in these Hispanic congregations specifically because the majority of these pastors are bivocational pastors. Pastors that not only serve their congregation week in and week out and do all of the ministry, spiritual care, uh, and being there for their flock, but then also have to work full-time. And at Start College, you are very familiar with this demographic of students because most of our students are non-traditional students and bivocational pastors themselves.
2: We are so elated to have you on our podcast, particularly as we're starting out. And you know, I want to start with something a little bit unusual and maybe... Um, a little bit less serious, mm. but I think it's really important you know at at stark, we have a phrase that we use la familia, you know that's the Spanish for family, and for us, it means so much more than just a biological family, but I'm just curious, like what is one of your favorite family traditions that you share?
1: Well, I wish you could I could say that my favorite family tradition was making tamales as a family together, but uh, <laughs> we're not that talented. Uh, I think it's an evolving tradition, a tradition of, of gathering, uh, you know, that in our family started with our, our Christmas gathering. I, I love the Christmas season and our, our tradition is to open gifts on the night of the 24th on Christmas Eve. And mm-hmm. we've kind of yeah. have this routine that has developed that uh, usually includes a candlelight service. And for many years, it was a candlelight service at a Methodist church because we couldn't find a, a Baptist one in our area that had uh, the candlelight service. And then we progress, you know, on to dinner and we reuse some of the same boxes from year to year. And people, you know, our, our kids recognize those boxes that we've been putting the gifts in for, for years. And then people will pick up wrapping off the floor and run to the room to wrap a last minute gift. And, you know, it's evolved into uh, weekly family dinners that we have and a yearly family retreat that could be at a, Airbnb or a cruise. And it's, it's focused more on spending time together as a family rather than, uh, you know, going to a, to a ballpark or excursions or outings. And I really love that our, our kids love to be together as a family. And I, and I pray that this uh, Rincones gatherings can become a generational experience and tradition for, for, for future uh, generations of our family.
2: Well, speaking of future generations, I hear that you've got a grandchild on the way. That
1: seems pretty exciting that's what i've been told uh they say that june (laughs) rinconis should be uh joining us somewhere between october 5th and october 12th so we're excited about it
2: well congratulations what a great great opportunity to to join the uh the brotherhood of grandfathers you're gonna have to pick your grandpa name um like one of our other brothers and friends has done as well hey before we before we get into some of the meat of what we're wanting to talk about um you know many people they may not know that you have a Juris Doctorate, a JD. You're an attorney, you, you uh, went to law school after college. I'm just curious, how did you go from college to law school to the pastorate?
1: Well, it actually started out in electrical engineering. I studied electrical engineering for three and a half years. Um, I was going to be an electrical engineer. My wife was studying pre-med, and we thought we were going to have a really nice house and, a, and some really <laughs> great cars and uh, wonderful incomes, and, and God began to change those around. And when I, when I sensed a call to law school, which was after taking a con law class in college, I realized there has to be a faster way to, to get my bachelor's in electrical engineering. So I changed over mm-hmm. to mathematics, got my uh, BA in math, and, uh, and started law school.
2: Wow, excellent. So, you, so you, you thought there was going to be a call to a little bit of a lifestyle, and I'm sure there's an interest within the, uh, the study and the field of law. But then you heard a call from God to go and become a minister, a pastor. So I'm wondering, was it the money, the allure of the high-paying job of a pastor that, that you heard God call you? I had
1: to fight that allure every, every moment of ministry. <laughs> you're familiar with it. And I'm sure the pastors that you're training are very familiar with, uh, with, with yeah, a lot. There's of no money
2: people, in right? this business.
1: Exactly. Uh, and, you know, I'd always been involved in ministry um, at, at my church and with a uh, student ministry and, and college ministry and BSM. And uh, so serving in the church was always part of, of what we did. And uh, as a child, Every Friday after school, I knew what was waiting for us. We're driving over to the church because we had to clean the church. That was our family's responsibility every week. Uh, so ministry was 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 there, but uh, full time vocational pastoral ministry was not. And it started in my last year of law school on a Wednesday night. Uh, there was an unfamiliar face at the church, and you know, you usually don't get guests on a Wednesday night at a church. And uh, he said, "Hey, are, are you Jesse? I, I heard that you preach." And I said, "Well, you might want to call it that, but it's mo- mostly youth stuff and retreats and lock-ins." And he said, "Well, can you come and preach Sunday morning for us in the great uh, metropolitan city of Anton, Texas?" That had <laughs> metropolitan. About, yeah, fifteen people uh, at the little uh, Hispanic mission, and I went and preached on Sunday morning and. Uh, he invited me to come back on Sunday night and then invited me back on Wednesday and the next Sunday, and that turned out to uh, kind of an interim pastorate in my last year of law school. Wow. So that, was, wow. that was kind of my, my first delving into the pastorate. So it was almost as if uh,
2: God sort of slowly walked you into that opportunity, because if you'd have been asked right up front, maybe you would have been a little bit hesitant uh, to, to accept that call.
1: Uh, I think so. You know, my my wife is a pastor's son, and I I remember my mother-in-law telling me, "I pray that God would use you as a as a preacher, but not as a pastor," uh, because she had seen the uh, the challenges and the suffering of of being in ministry uh, full time and in, in their lives, and and, uh, and and I always recalled that and. Uh, my last year in law school, Brenda says, you know what's going to happen? You're going to graduate from law school. We're going to get called to some <laughs> little town to go pastor. And uh, she didn't know how prophetic she was. She nailed it.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, I'm interested, Brother Jesse. So you mentioned that your wife was, grew up as a PK and was first had firsthand experience with the sacrifices that pastors make. Um, and now going from potential lawyer to becoming pastor. Um, And I'm just curious, sometimes when we get a calling from God, sometimes it can be a struggle for the spouse uh, to kind of come alongside in agreement. You know, when God called Abraham, Sarah was there and uh, she struggled uh, with God's promise over both of them. And it did involve both of them because I believe when God calls one, he calls both, not necessarily to the same role, but maybe but to the same place. So Mm -hmm. how can you explain? Was there any kind of struggle that you're willing to be transparent about that will help other ministers maybe who have a spouse that is struggling with being called into the ministry?
1: You know, at at each point, um, Brenda has just been such an outstanding uh, support you know she has her own call in, in her life and it just happens that they've synced up well since she was mm-hmm. you know 11 12 years old she would collect a clip art you know back before uh, adobe and photoshop and and even print shop pro uh, she would collect clip clip art she'd have these big books like this because she would put together the bulletin on sundays and she would teach the children and so she has a long history of of service and ministry herself and um I think probably the the only time there was some sense of hesitation is when we had been at our church here at Alliance Church for 13 years, and uh, I remember saying, I- I'm very comfortable here. Our kids were in a great mm-hmm. schools. Our, our church loved us. They took care of us really well. They loved our family, and I said, I- I'm, I'm comfortable here. I can be here for a while, and those words just began to bounce around in my heart, and they wouldn't let me sleep, and I thought... You know, I can't find anywhere in the Scripture where, when God wanted to do something, He did it with somebody whose life was comfortable. He usually brought discomfort <laughs> to people's lives, and that began to, to transition that uh, our ministry into a full-time ministry with a convention. and And I know that there was some some reservation at the beginning. Uh, Brenda said, "I, I know that I, we feel released from here, but I don't know that that's necessarily where it needs to be." And so. We didn't push it. I didn't mention it again. We just, you know, continue to do ministry. And uh, and one day she says, you know, I'm ready to go wherever it is that God takes us. And, and I'm glad that God uses his spirit
0: Amen. in our
1: spouses and even in our children to guide us for the not just the right place, but the right time and the right process.
2: You know, you bring up a topic that I I'm, I'm want to explore a little bit more, and that is um, the fact that... You felt comfortable, and yet you knew that that's not how God necessarily works. Jesse, you do something that is incredibly uncomfortable, that is incredibly difficult. I mean, you strive in both being a pastor simultaneously, while you're also striving to be the executive director of a convention of Hispanic Baptist churches, 1,100 churches across our state. What drives you to strive in both of these roles, and, and what makes you get up in the morning to do
1: that? Uh, that's a great question, Tony. Someone once asked me, uh, what gets you into the office on Friday morning at eight am?" And I said, what gets me there is knowing that the pastors that I serve uh, have already been up for two uh, two hours or more. Some of them have been at, you know, the construction sites since six am, laying tile, throwing concrete, driving a bus, teaching in a classroom. And I have the privilege to dedicate myself, you know, at that time, full time uh, to finding out how can we resource those pastors and uh, and those in those churches. So it's the pastors that, that keep me going. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing, too, is the opportunity, uh, you know, in the as I told you, I studied math and I love numbers because I think numbers tell stories in the decade from the year 2000 to 2010 in the United States. Uh, of all the country's growth in the 18 and under a generation, 52% of that growth came from Texas. That means Texas mm-hmm. produced more than uh, more than half of uh, more than more of that generation than all of the other states combined. And what's even more incredible is that 49.3% of that entire growth of that generation, 18 and under, came from Hispanics in Texas.
0: Mm-hmm. So.
1: I think that if you impact Hispanics in Texas, you're going to impact our country, and you're going to impact future generations. So I think it's the pastors and the opportunity that uh, just encourage me to to continue doing the work that
0: God has privileged me to do. Hey, friends, we're going to take a brief break from this conversation to hear from our sponsor. We'll be back in just a moment.
2: The Stark Difference is brought to you by Stark College and Seminary. At Stark, we know that you're called to do something extraordinary for yourself, your church, and your community. Sometimes, though, it's a challenge to know where to start. You may not know how to make the best use of the gifts God has given you, and that can make you feel anxious about your ability to serve. Our mission is to equip followers of Christ for service to the church and the community in a diverse setting that brings out the best in you to help God's kingdom grow. Visit us at stark.edu to apply or to preview a class. See how deep your faith can grow with a degree or certificate from Stark. Now, back to the show.
0: Thanks for hearing from our sponsor. Let's get back to the conversation.
2: I absolutely agree. You know, I like to say I stand in front of the congregation and I talk about the importance of a pastor. I say, so goes the pulpit, so goes the pew. So goes the pew, so goes the city, the county, the state, and then our nation. And you have just uh, so perfectly illustrated that with those statistics. You know, the, the Stark Difference podcast is dedicated to sharing stories of men and women who, well, feel called to serve God in both simple and, as we've said, profound ways. And there's some growing trends, I think, that we've all seen lately. And that is leaders intentionally choosing to become bivocational pastors, ministers of some sort. So brother, from your unique vantage point, what are some of the challenges? And let's be honest, some of the joys of a bivocational ministry.
1: Well, the, the list of challenges can, can be quite extensive. Of course, time is always one of the largest mm-hmm. challenges for multivocational pastors. Um, you know, many pastors complain about not getting called in on their day off or they don't have enough uh, time to prepare their sermon. And many bivocational pastors don't even get a day off. Mm-mm. They don't have a dedicated time to be able to work on their ministerial efforts. Another challenge is resources. They may not have a staff or a secretary. I remember a pastor uh, talking about his sermon research team that he had in his, in his congregation. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, wow, that just, uh, that's just something <laughs> completely out of our, our world. You know, for somebody to walk up and give you, here's your research for the sermon series you're going to be doing, you know, in five mm-hmm. months. Uh, I think our bivocational pastors also uh, maybe struggle with this feeling of less than, you know, yes. I'm not a real pastor because I'm not full time, or I'm not a real pastor because I haven't gone to, to seminary. And sometimes those feelings of inadequacy, I, I think, can, um, can go on to something worse, you know, feelings of shame. Man, mm-hmm. I just don't have enough time to invest in my sermon preparation like the guy across the street or across town or um I, I haven't done all the visitation that i really should be doing i haven't read the latest books or gone to the latest conferences and uh there can be a sense of disconnect you know i know that in a lot of associations and ministerial groups and denominational work you know the 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 the, the pastors meeting is monday at noon and the pastors out you know uh doing his work and can't get away for that from that and even if somebody offers a pastor's retreat, uh, you know, a bivocational pastor is going to have to uh, you know, get a couple of days vacation to be able to even attend a retreat or a conference. And that eats away to the time that he's got available to spend with his family. So there are uh, definitely lots of challenges that our pastors face. Yeah, and even if they want to go to college or go to school or
2: do some seminary, when does a bivocational, I love what you said, a multivocational pastor do that? And, you know, at Stark, that's what we specialize in, and so for that person, we can help them think through that. So you've you've clearly captured the challenges, um, but what are some of the joys, and why do you believe someone should actually consider truly choosing multivocational ministry?
1: I think it all comes down to uh, full, fulfilling their call. You know, you can't wait for the perfect circumstances mm. to fulfill your call. If you're called, uh, you have this fire inside you that drives you to, to do that particular work, whether it's working with women or children or worship ministry or, or pastoring. I mean, you, you do it as a volunteer. You do it when you don't have a title. Uh, you do it when there isn't a budget line item for you. Uh, You do it while you still have one or two jobs. And so you consider those bivocational circumstances when you want to be faithful to your call. And I think one of the joys that I've seen pastors express is one, they get to fulfill their call and provide for their families. Um, But this organization came in and did a video and uh, interviewed Hispanic bivocational pastors here in Texas. And one of the things that I heard pastor after pastor say about their ability to work and provide for their family is that they saw it as a gift. They saw it as a gift that they could give to their church. They saw it as relieving a burden uh, from the Mm -hmm. church that they didn't have to carry this burden of paying them a salary. And they actually felt proud about being able to gift uh, their labor to the church so that the church could have uh, ministry and, and leadership and servanthood.
0: Well, brother That's Jesse, so as you mentioned earlier, the pastors, the Bible vocational pastors, that work full time and work very hard. I mean, our Hispanic pastors work have usually work in fields that are very physically demanding more blue collar worker than white collar worker that brought to mind my own uncle, my Theo Benito, who was by pastor in a bilingual church when, when I was a teenager. And so I just want to say thank you for all that you do to support pastors like my uncle who pastored for over 20 years. And so what, as, what would you say to pastors that are listening right now, bivocational pastors who are tired, who have worked so hard and sometimes do feel guilty, as you said, because sometimes they don't have the lack uh, they lack time with their family. Um, what, from your own experience, could you encourage them with on how you can make up that family time? Because as a wife of a of a husband who who served on church staff for many years, I understand there are so many commitments and obligations that come uh, with ministry. And so what would you say to our pastors to encourage them in their relationships?
1: I would either say, no están solos, or you're not alone. Um, you don't have to do this alone. You shouldn't do it alone. You were not called to do it alone. And take the opportunity to look around and find uh, those that you have that are cheering you on, that are championing for you. Uh, And it could be your local association or compañerismo, the local Hispanic fellowship. It could be uh, start college, or a, a denominational or parachurch group. There are lots of churches, organizations that are, are are interested in supporting you as a pastor. And I know sometimes you can feel isolated, and you feel like nobody cares, nobody's listening, nobody's watching. But take that initiative to ask for help. And uh, sometimes we don't, uh, we you know we don't ask for help because we think it's a sign of weakness. Or, uh, you know, what are the people going to think about me if I ask for help? Well, I'll tell you right now, they'll think you're normal because all of us (laughs) need help. And uh, and sometimes with large things or small things. Uh, Mm -hmm. But reach out. If you don't have anybody to reach out to, uh, call Tony. Uh, Call me. Yes. And uh, we know people who know people. And uh, the people, the circles that we have, I know they overlap. And we have a passion for pastors. We want to help you succeed because when you are. Uh, you, when, you have a, when you're a healthy pastor, a healthy father, uh, a healthy husband, um, when you're healthy in your finances, um, your church is going to be blessed by that and, um, and, and, and take the opportunity and the privilege and the blessing that it is uh, to ask for help because God's already provided it. It's out there and it's just waiting to manifest in you and in your ministry.
2: You know, Jesse, you are a wealth of information. I mean, I'm just sitting here amazed at the, the things that you're, you're able to, to share and to encourage these uh, people watching and listening to the podcast today. And I know you've written lots of Bible study curriculums, both in English and in Spanish. You've written devotionals. I've read many of them over the years. You've even written journal articles. Not written a book, but I say not yet. If you could write a book, <laughs> what would it be about, Jesse?
1: I, th- I think there's one of two things. It would either be the history of Hispanic Baptist work in Texas, you know, yes. how God works in and through our congregations. A lot of times we celebrate, you know, the church that had 125 baptisms on one Sunday, or that church that sends 50 people to India on a mission trip, or they're able to build, uh, pay for the building of a of a church, you know, in a third world country. And, and, and it's great that we can celebrate those things, but they are, There are are works and ministries that congregations of 15, 20, 40, 50 people are doing, and they're being just as faithful. And those stories need to be told, not necessarily because of the churches or because of the people, uh, but those stories need to be told because of God's faithfulness, how it reflects God's faithfulness in the lives of our our Latino disciples and our Latino churches. Um, The other possibility would be um, a book on Hispanic church revitalization, you know, of those 1100 Hispanic Baptist churches that you mentioned here in Texas, the vast majority of them have 50 people or less and um, have uh, bivocational pastors um, that maybe have little to no training. And yet, yet God still has those congregations in our communities and, and he wants to use them for his kingdom work. So if we can imagine those congregations uh, healthy and thriving, I think our, our communities would look differently and they would live differently uh, when someone would would be willing to invest in these congregations.
0: I did have a question, Brother Jesse, in thinking of like you were just talking about church revitalization, and you also mentioned earlier about the increasing population of Latinos, uh, especially in Texas, and we live in Texas. Um, What would you say to pastors who perhaps are not Hispanic uh, pastors that have a growing Latino population around their churches um, and maybe some of those uh, you know Latinos around them speak Spanish and they don't necessarily have English as a first language um, and so that is another challenge for Hispanic uh, churches when you have multi-generations that speak some may speak Spanish and the younger ones do not
1: mm-hmm. but
0: in reaching more the Hispanic population for Jesus Christ how would you encourage pastors to reach more Hispanics?
1: Um, I would I would respond with the same thing I would tell the bivocational pastors. You can't do it alone. You know, there's an interesting dynamic in some of our rural communities up in this area where uh, you have a first-generation Spanish-speaking uh, a congregation that has never— um, encouraged. They've never learned how to incorporate or minister to second and third generation English speaking Hispanics. So their children and grandchildren are no longer con- connected to that church because they have a a, a language disconnect. Mm-hmm. But then you also have maybe a, a first Baptist church or a Calvary or a second that... Um, uh, never made an intentional effort to reach out to the Hispanic community. And now that community di- dynamic and demographics have changed where the majority of the community may be Hispanic, but English-speaking. And so the, the English-speaking congregation does not have a history of reaching out to that group, so they have a cultural disconnect. The Primera, uh, Iglesia Bautista, uh, has a, 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 you know a, a language disconnect And we see this entire generation that's just falling through the cracks. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I think if there was more um, conversation and collaboration between those two congregations, they could realize that what they can't do alone, they might be able to do together uh, to reach and minister to their community.
0: So Brother Jesse, what would be the one thing that you would say to pastors who are having an increasing uh, community of Hispanics? that speak Spanish and they don't?
1: I would say find a Hispanic leader that mm-hmm. you can trust and connect them as soon as possible into leadership and make it as visible as possible. When pastors have said, hey, we you know, we, we reach a lot of Hispanics through VBS and their kids will come, but then the parents don't come into our service mm-hmm. or they come, but they don't stay. And I show them an example that Uh, You know, our church is an English speaking, primarily Hispanic congregation, and we have mixed uh, uh, families and uh, mixed ethnicities. Uh, And for a time, the longest that I had ever kept an all Anglo couple was six months. And Mm -hmm. when they left, that really hurt me, you know, because I I don't think that we were, uh, you know, racist against them or that there was any kind of, you know, problem in that sense. Um, but the reality is that when they looked around, they didn't see anybody like them. Mm-hmm. So our next hire, when we hired a worship leader, we hired an Anglo worship leader, and the next two new members classes that we had were fifty percent Anglo. And mm-hmm. and I use that example to uh, to those pastors to tell them um, if you want to, the people that you want to reach, they, they've got to see themselves somewhere, mm-hmm. and not just in you know in in, in pictures on the PowerPoint or on, on your facebook slide you got to see them on the uh, you know behind the pulpit or uh, in positions of of ministry and service and also leadership
0: that's good
2: you know the the power of people seeing someone that looks like them is incredibly effective we take a similar approach here at start college and seminary in ensuring that our faculty and staff and trustees look like our student body and I'm really, really impressed with, uh, with that approach, even within our local churches. Well, you know,
1: let's see. I'm sorry to jump in there, Tony, but I was going to say, you know, I, I wonder sometimes when you're going to change it to start colegio. Uh, or when <laughs> yeah, because when I see the promotions for, for people who are going to speak in chapel, the people that you have on your webinars, it's just so encouraging to me to discover leaders that, that are not on my radar and I appreciate you putting those leaders and those voices and those experiences on our radar um, because it's not, again, it's not because they're Latino or because of the color of their skin. It's because we need to show people that God is at work in, in all of his people, regardless of their work situation, their circumstance, where they were born or what their language is. So thank you for doing that.
2: It is my pleasure to get to be a part of just one little piece of God's kingdom. And at the end of the day, I think this is what heaven's going to look like. It's going to be a kaleidoscope of colors, multicultural. Uh, and colorful kingdom that we get to live in in heaven. And I just think that we should be bringing God's kingdom, not just to heaven, but to earth as well. And so brother, thank you so very much for your time and participation today. You know, you are a wealth of information and I'm just curious, how could students or even ministry leaders uh, connect with you in the future, whether it's Spanish or English?
1: You can go to convencionbautista.org or hispanicbaptist.org for our convention information. Or if you just want to do a search on, you know, LinkedIn, social media, you'll find me there. If anybody out there plays uh, the Fortnite video game, you can find me at Raider (laughs) Rojo.
0: I love that. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, uh, Pastor Jesse, today. Thank you so much for your time.
1: It was a pleasure, and I look forward to listening to uh, The Stark Podcast coming forward. Thank you. God bless you, brother.
0: Thanks for joining us here on The Stark Difference. For more, follow or subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast player. And if the Spirit moves you, leave us a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, subscribe, subscribe, and ring the notification bell to get notifications for new episodes. The Stark Difference, a conversation about calling is a production of Stark College and Seminary in association with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by participants of the show are those of the individuals and may not reflect the views of Stark College and Seminary or Westport Studios. Know someone who would make a great guest on the show? Or do you have a topic in mind you'd like to hear discussed? Drop us a line at podcasts at stark.edu. We're so glad you joined us today to hear this conversation about calling and hope it inspires you to grow in your own calling and faith journey. Till next time, may God keep making a stark difference in your life. Hasta luego!